0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're all here um, to hear um, from our speaker this morning. Um, But before we get started with the meat of our time, um, I want to just call your attention to two different announcements. The first is that if you haven't gotten the new magazine, the new issue, the third issue of the magazine, the Advent magazine, um, it's so wonderful. It's so good. It's such a nice read it really is it looks good it feels good it makes you feel it makes you say yeah this is my church (laughs) and yeah this is my city so go ahead and pick one up there's some here, there are some in Cleveland Commons. If you haven't had one, take as many as you want. Literally, we're encouraging people to paper the town with them, which means you can leave it in the coffee shop where you frequent. You can leave it leave it on the table anywhere you want to and just see, you know, in a waiting room, see what happens. Maybe someone will pick it up and be really wowed by it. Um, so take, make sure to take that. And if you, some seats have these on them. There are more on the center table in uh, Cleveland Clingman Commons and again take multiples if you want to if you have a friend that you'd like to invite this year to our Christmas Crunch which is an event it's a Christmas event that we have at the club and it's a way for us as women of the church to get away it's so funny because it's December 1st this year so is it really the crunch but I kind of feel like yeah because it starts after Halloween doesn't it So, um, so it'll be just a time for us to get away and remember why, why are we doing all of this? And what really ultimately is it all for? Of course, it's all about Jesus Christ. And so we'll have time to hear a word. I'll bring a word to us. Um, but it's really about the fellowship. Um, so don't miss out on that time, that event. And you can RSVP. There's a uh, way to RSVP there. And feel free, again, to grab multiples of these and to give them to your friends. Or better yet, invite a friend and bring her along with you. Okay? And um, now I'm just so thrilled to get to hear, I got to hear Stella um, speak uh, earlier this morning at the morning session. And I just said, I've known Stella for all of the five years that I've been here because Stella also has been on staff at the Advent for five years. Uh, Some of you might not know this, but she's been working with Craig Smalley in pastoral care, which means she, she does so many things. She really visits people in their time of need um, and she's a great um, listening ear to people during that time and I've just come to love and respect her and I just love the way she reflects too on the word and so I'd, I'd invited her because I knew of her ministry in the past to us as the Advent, um, especially to us when we're sick and hurting or when we're at home and alone and shut in. But then also, going forward, she's getting a degree, and so she's going to be a counselor, a licensed counselor, and her ministry, in some ways, will be broadened to all of us. Any of us can sit down and come and see her for an hour and uh, listen. Uh, let her listen to us and, and reflect upon what we bring to her. And so, um, so she's such a gift to us as a church, um, and so I'm so thankful that she was willing to do this. (laughs) willing to be thrown in the deep end (laughs) Um, so as uh as still gets up here let's let's begin with prayer lord jesus we thank you for gathering us together this morning as the body of christ as your people gathered in this place and um, we're gathered lord to meet with you and to hear from you even as you speak to us through your servant, Stella. And so we ask, Lord, that you would um, take her words and that you would let them be a word to us this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would work through her um, as your servant, as your vessel, as your mouthpiece. Would you, above all, give her your own peace that passes all understanding, even as she ushers us into that same peace. And so we ask all of this for your glory's sake and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Well first let me say how honored and humble I am to be asked to speak to ECW coffee this morning as I was preparing my talk I looked back on some of the other people that had been invited um, to talk to ECW events and I saw that they were published authors and they were a wife of Bishop and um, women who had traveled to faraway places and ministered to those in oppressed and dangerous situations and Then there's me. I'm a 56-year-old student. So I was really humbled when Deborah was willing to let me come speak. And um, today I wanted to talk about relationships and the yearning that people have of all ages to just connect with each other. Um, I'd like to start by reading just the end of the scripture that we'll be talking about today. So reading from Mark chapter 14. Just as he was speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. He fled naked, leaving his garment behind. If you'll bear with me, I want to back up a bit and give some context, and then we'll return to the Garden of Gethsemane. Right now I'm somewhat a little bit between two worlds, as Deborah mentioned. I'm, uh, about five years ago, Craig Smalley was nice enough to offer me a position in pastoral care visiting the homebound, and I visit those that just can't get out as often as they'd like to anymore, and also sometimes those in the hospital or those that have been recently released from the hospital. I really love people of all ages and I love to hear their stories and it has been and continues to be such a blessing to visit with people during challenging times, to offer them fellowship and to offer them prayer. (coughs) But I decided that I wanted to deepen my skills so that I could help in other ways too. So about two years ago, I decided that returning to school to um, earn my master's in counseling would be a viable path towards that goal. And it has indeed given my skills, but I've also at times found myself in some kind of humorous situations. Now, I know age is just a number, but recently I've become more fa- focused on just getting older and checking that box for 50 and older, and now I'm checking that box for 55 and older. And as I said, I began to pursue my masters, and this involved going back to school after a 38-year break. So that seemed pretty daunting to me, and I realized that it's such a privilege to have an opportunity to earn another degree. But, you know, figuring out how to take that entrance exam and then register for classes and find out how to get books and get to the classroom and dive back into research and reading really seemed daunting to me at each task, at each step. But UAB is a really great place to be. It's very diverse and there's people from all backgrounds and all ages. But I do, however, find myself to be the oldest in my classes most of the time. Of course there are some benefits to being labeled as a student. Recently my husband Alan and I went to the movies up at the summit and as we're walking up towards the counter, the young man behind the counter starts to speak to me and I'll qualify this by saying I know everybody age 25 and younger probably thinks everybody 35 or 40 and older is um, all looks the same. So but we walk up to the counter and he says "Um, will that be two seniors tickets? Now I know that I am a senior by whatever arbitrary number they've, decide, they've assigned to that, but at the time I felt really emboldened by my student ID. So I pull out my student ID and said, no, but I'll, I'll take a student ticket. And with a complete deadpan voice, he looks at me and says, wow, I was not expecting that. <laughs> so now I'm enjoying kind of using my student ID around town to get a few discounts here and there wherever I can. And when I began to think about relationships, I thought how lucky I am to have the opportunity to get to know so many of our homebound, many of whom are older than myself. I'm paid to go out and connect with people, which is a pretty great job. And that job, as I said, opened another door for me to go back to school. And in that arena, I'm around people that are generally 25 years younger than myself. I find myself in a really different world than than either group, and changing gears each day is really interesting, but also sometimes a little challenging. I spend part of my week with those who, for the most part, have become homebound. They just can't get out as much as they'd like to anymore. And they're facing challenges like staying relevant and finding meaning and joy in each day, as well as navigating just new challenges for daily living. And then I transition to school where most of my classmates are in a period of time where it seems like it's all up from here. Most of them are physically vibrant, and they're experiencing becoming financially independent for the first time, they're building their career, experiencing first loves and marriages. And as an aside, I'll say that I often find myself part of conversations about wedding ring shopping and finding housing and the weekend music festival. And needless to say, my peers aren't asking me for any advice on these topics, but they are kind enough to include me in the conversation. So I get a little taste of maybe what recent trends are. Uh, This past semester, my age was really apparent. We had an assignment that we were to pick a fictional character from TV or the movies and um, treat them like they were our client and write a paper and do a presentation on them. So our group of four assembles and uh, the other three are right around the age of 25 and we start to brainstorm about what characters we might write about. So this is what they came up with. Omar Little from The Wire. G.O.B. Bluth from Arrested Development. Buffy Summers, The Vampire Slayer, and Ruth Fisher from Six Feet Under. Now maybe y'all are more hip than I am, but I, I've heard of none of those. So we finally settled on a character from Ferris Bueller's Day Off because it was the single movie we could identify that we've all seen. So that afternoon I visited with Florence Keene. Now I know a lot of you all know her. She turned 100 and we had a birthday party for her and here at Cleanman Commons this summer. And some of you were probably in attendance. Now, her husband was 15 years older than her, and her memory is incredible sharp, and so way, way better than mine, and so I think this story that I'm about to relate to you has a lot of credibility. But she told me that her husband, who grew up in Washington, D.C., as a little boy was one day playing down by the Potomac with a friend, and two men ride up on horseback and speak to the boys and offer them a ride home, and they jump at the opportunity, and save the long walk home, So they hop on the back of the horse and when they get there his mother comes to the door and she's aghast to see that he's on horseback with President Theodore Roosevelt. And so he further embarrasses his mother by, and remember this is back in a time of sepia-toned newspapers, he embarrasses his mother by saying that President Roosevelt's skin appears much lighter than it did in the photos in the newspaper. So I find it amazing that in the morning I can connect with people who have no memory of a president before George W. Bush. They've never subscribed to a newspaper. But in the afternoon, I can connect with people whose husband rode through Washington, D.C. on a horse with Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> so the perspectives and cultures that these that these two groups grew up in is really, seems quite different. Uh, TV didn't even become common until the 1950s. But today in my classes, all my classmates have their laptops open, and they're taking notes on their computers or they're really just kind of pretending to while they're instant messaging and emailing and surfing social media and then they also have their telephone propped up very not very discreetly behind there and streaming a video and checking sports scores. So, I'm really amazed at their ability to multitask when I'm doing good just to pay attention to the lecture. But um And while the focus of these two groups at first seems really different, I've come to see a lot of commonality. Uh, I think my generation looks at the generation coming along behind us and thinks that they're missing out on something by relying so heavily on their telephones and their laptops. But our parents said the same thing about us, that by watching TV we'd miss out on more engaging pursuits, and that by not having their same carefree and unstructured childhood, that we'd somehow be less prepared as we became adults. But I think that um, it doesn't matter how you connect, whether it's by Facebook, or by text, or the latest dating app, or you're meeting up with somebody for lunch. I think we're all just yearning for that connection in our own way. What I love about visiting those that are older, who may be physically or even mentally failing, is that they have so much wisdom. Knowing that you likely do not have an abundance of years left, or that your ability um, for complete independence may have been diminished seems to allow people to really prioritize and it also allows people to set away the clutter both mentally physically and spiritually. It seems that it doesn't matter if somebody has a lot of financial wealth or comes from little financial means or is currently living in a big house with a lot of rooms and the finest furnishings or they're just in one room at the retirement home. The people I visit just seem to want their most comfortable chair and to be in relationship with those that they care about. Age is really the great equalizer. A Good day is one in which they hear from their children or an old friend stops by. And even if they're not feeling well or they can't make heads or tails from the laptop that their grandchildren gave them for Christmas, it all seems to melt away and be right with the world if somebody stops by or they get a call from somebody. I'm reminded how simple our needs really are. When I'm rushed and just trying to get to everybody on my list or I have other things on my mind, our homebound really continued to remind me of the importance of living simply and being in relationship with others. One woman I used to visit at St. Martin's was profoundly deaf and we could only communicate by my writing on a whiteboard to her. And so we're having a conversation one day and she told me that the thing that she really missed the most was conversing with others during mealtime and when they had activities. And she was of failing health and had a lot of health issues and was very weak. But That was the one thing that was really so meaningful to her that she missed so much, was just being in community with those where she now lived. Our relationships with others certainly give our lives meaning. And I would argue when you reach the end of your life, these relationships are one of the things that'll give our lives the most meaning over home, job, accomplishments, or wealth. There was a study called the Grant Study, and it followed some Harvard grads for 70 years, and it's still going on today. And the study found that the only difference between happy and unhappy people was that those that reported to be happy also reported strong social relationships. The conclusion read, and I quote, the capacity to love and be loved was the single strength most clearly associated with subjective well-being at age 80. There was no correlation to happiness, what I would call contentment. No correlation to contentment from contentment to intelligence, to social, I mean, school accomplishments, work accomplishments, race, age, gender or income. I agree with this and it's certainly supported by the homebound that I visit. They are certainly uplifted by hearing from others and being in relationship with others. However, what do we do when others let us down? We're all broken, sinful, imperfect, and at times lacking in empathy for others. We've all been hurt and disappointed in our spouses, our friends, our children. It hurts when we're disappointed in others that we care about. And it also hurts when we know we've let others down who we deeply care about. The only perfect relationship is our relationship with Jesus. He's never failed to listen to us. His timing has never faltered. In fact, our relationship with our God is the one perfect relationship. While our earthly relationships are certainly a source of great fulfillment, and I would argue with the exception of spirituality, the thing that we will most value not only now, but if we find ourselves in mentally or physically failing health, we find ourselves in a position of loss, including loss of independence. But these earthly relationships are ultimately insufficient. In our times of deepest need and deepest hurt and even despair, these relationships are inadequate. In thinking about relationships, I began to think about how betrayed Jesus must have felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples had let him down. Here were his closest friends, he knew he would be crucified, and he set about to pray to God. Jesus was in pain, even despair, as he realized God's will. As he separated himself from the disciples in the garden, he asked that they would support him by staying awake and by praying for him. Yet upon his return, he found they would fallen asleep. These very men who were closest to him, not even support him with a simple request at this time in his deepest despair. Not once but three times Jesus returned to find his followers asleep. They were not supporting him, they were not praying, they were not even staying awake. And then of course as I read earlier Jesus, the ultimate, uh, Judas, the ultimate betrayal. So reading again from Mark chapter 14, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away, and he prayed the same thing again when he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy they did not know what to say to him returning the third time he said to them are you still sleeping and resting enough the hour has come look the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners rise let us go here comes my betrayer while I think our greatest earthly relationships Come from relation, uh, our greatest earthly joy comes from relationships with others. We've all been let down and hurt by those closest to us. And Jesus certainly felt that same sadness and disappointment. Can you stay awake for an hour? Can you pray for me? Can you keep watch over me? And this would seem to be a small request following all the powerful time that they had spent together. But even this small rep- request could not be completed for their friend Jesus. Peter denied him, his followers slept, and Judas betrayed him. Take great comfort in that Jesus understands and has experienced these same deep disappointments. He understands it and he expects it. And I think that this exemplifies where we cannot expect to sustain constant fulfillment from our friends, from our spouses, from our children, from our colleagues. Our only perfect relationship is with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He'll never sleep when we ask him to be present for us, watch over us, and be in prayer with us. Martin Luther King gave a sermon on Good Friday in 1957 in Montgomery, and parts of his sermon inspired my talk today. He pointed out how it was natural for us to pray for the cup to pass over us, just as Jesus did. Even Jesus did not want to die, to suffer, to have pain, to be crucified. We pray for the protection of our children and family members that no harm will come to them. We pray for our friends and our neighbors that they'll be healed. We've prayed for our citizens during recent storms that they'd be protected. And we've even prayed that our loved ones would not be found among the dead in Las Vegas. We pray that the cup will pass over and spare us and our loved ones all manner of physical and emotional pain. It's certainly human to um, pray for joy over suffering and life over death. And I believe Jesus experienced these same earthly emotions. But what Jesus teaches us in the Garden of Gethsemane is that after he asks for the cup to passeth over him, after he asks God to spare his life, to spare his suffering, he then says, Thy will be done. Because unlike all our earthly relationships, it's God's will That will eventually deliver us along the path of life's bumpy road as well as be the answer to our prayers. God is the one who will never fail us, who will not fall asleep in our moment of need and in our time of grief, loss, and suffering but we have to recognize that it is his will that will be done. Yes, there's times when friends and family encourage us and cheer us on to success. I saw a recent news story following Hurricane Harvey and there was an elderly man trapped in his car amid rising flood water. Emergency services were stretched so thin and um, it was happening so quickly that there was no time to summon professional rescuers so people passing by began to notice what was happening. In a crowd formed there was about 25 people and they began to link arms and form a chain out to the car out through the water so that they could safely get to him. The man at the end of the chain pulled with what looked like all his might on the car door and got the elderly man out and cradled him in his arms and carried him back up the chain with the help of the other people to safety onto dry land. There are no doubts that the shouts and the encouragement of the crowd of these 25 local people gave strength to the rescuer so that he could accomplish the rescue. They gave him physical and emotional support. But, and what about the athlete at the Olympics who's cheered on by his coach and friends and even strangers to beat his own personal best? Or the musician who summons courage among the adulation of the crowd to give a wonderful performance? These are times we certainly feel supported, loved by, and appreciated by our family and friends and even strangers. But what about those times when we feel alone, discouraged, sad, defeated, even hopeless? What about when the crowd is gone? When we're uncertain about our next steps or we just feel like we have no good options or we feel isolated by our mental or physical pain? This is exactly the time when we're not alone. Just as Jesus was not alone and His followers slept in the garden. So in closing I'd like to share one more anecdote from my homebound ministry. (coughs) One of my visits in my early years has really stuck with me. There was a woman and she had been a successful businesswoman but now she had dementia and she'd already been in the nursing home for several years before I began to visit her. She was estranged from her daughter. Her friends no longer visited. She either had no family members or they didn't come anymore. She was unable to form complete sentences and most of the words that she strung together just made little sense. And I would go and just sit with her for a while and then offer her prayer. One day, as we were finishing up our, our prayer, she looked at me with just complete clarity of speech and with her mind, clear eyes, and said, you know, you and I are the lucky ones. Now, her scenario was around my, my worst nightmares and that she was alone and she would failing mental health. And I couldn't imagine what she and I both had in common. But she continued on, you know, you and I are the lucky ones because we have everything we need. And I was stunned and awed by this simple truth. She lived about three more years in slow decline and eventually wasn't able to speak anymore and was in the bed full time. But I never forgot what she taught me that day. Inspired by prayer, she reminded me that we do have everything we need. We have our relationship with God, we have Jesus who died for our sins, we have a living God who who sent Jesus to experience our same earthly pain and disappointments, including prayers that echo what many of us feel every day. Please let this cup passeth, but ultimately let thy will be done. So I'd like to close today in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of our many blessings, including the freedom to gather here today in fellowship and the freedom to worship you. I also give thanks to Deborah and to the women's ministries and all the ministries at the Advent. Please help us all to connect with others today and to work through us so that we might spread the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. I ask your blessing on each of the women here today and your protection over them and each member of their families. We just ask that we will feel your presence with us each day and that you will give us strength and draw us near to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll
1: join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.